Morena and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast for Tuesday the 7th of March. It goes out every day with my email newsletter via my substack called The Kaka. I tend to focus on the political economy both here in Aotearoa and the global political economy with a special focus on housing unaffordability, climate change inaction and poverty reduction. I wanted to give you a, an update, a set piece, if you like, on how politics of climate change actually works here in Aotearoa. So yesterday morning, the New Zealand Herald led with a piece by Thomas Coughlin in which he reported, fairly simply, from the government's policy statement, the GPS, so to, so to speak, on the next three years for NZTA, Waka Kotahi's, plans for spending money from road user charges and fuel taxes. The background here is that um, about 20 years ago, the government set up what's called a hypothecated fund. So that means you pay fuel taxes and road user charges, and it's not put into the general pot of the government's funding. It is put into the National Land Transport Fund, which is administered by NZTA. And the idea here is that the voters would feel reassured that their money was not being used on hip-hop tours or um, consultants, but was actually being used to build and repair the roads upon which they drove, and that um, their cars and trucks uh, would get the benefits of the fuel taxes that they paid and the road user charges that they paid. Now, over time, more and more of this fund is being used to pay for public transport. The government's all, always paid somewhat of a subsidy for public transport. I'm talking here about buses and trains in the big cities. It hasn't been much and uh, it hasn't increased much over the years relative to the need, but it has been there. And there's been a begrudging acceptance from uh, the, the, uh, the centre-right of politics that there should be some money spent on public transport. But not an awful lot. And the real focus for the opposition, National and ACT, is stopping uh, this money being used particularly for cycling and walking, or at least more of it being used for cycling and walking. But of course, if we're going to address climate change with emissions reduction, we need to do an awful lot of mode shifting, i.e. people need to get out of their cars and utes and trucks, particularly in the cities for those short trips, and start walking, cycling, e-biking, e-buggying, and taking the bus and the train. Now, all of this requires extra infrastructure and shifts in the ways that roads, in particular, are configured. It means, in particular, uh, car parks on the sides of roads being turned into cycleways and walkways, uh, busways being created in place of a lane which would normally be there for a car, and you can see how this is all going to develop. Essentially, it's a contest between People driving their cars and their utes and their trucks versus people who are cycling and walking. And it's all focused on this issue of how the money is spent from road user charges and fuel taxes. 
So the general policy statement, uh, the draft at least, uh, essentially said we, we need to spend more of those fuel taxes and road user charges on mode shift, shifting people into walking and cycling. Not only is it healthier, physically healthier, it's much cheaper for many people, and it also um, reduces our emissions. So in the long run, it's better not just for people's health, but also for the economy, because the emissions that we don't produce are also the ones that we don't have to pay for in carbon credits when eventually uh, we miss our targets and the rest of the world says, right, pay up. So this is um, something that actually both sets of governments have been working on for some time. And it's only recently that the rhetoric on this has changed. Simeon Brown, the National Party's transport spokesman, has accused the government at various points of launching a war on cars and that the government has an ideological approach to getting people to ride bikes and uh, start cycling and walking and using electric bikes. The assumption in this scenario is that everyone will have an electric car or an electric ute and there won't be need a need to change lifestyles that much. Of course, this ignores the very real issue of embedded carbon emissions in these often very large electric vehicles um, and, and also um, the area of congestion, uh, given that if we're all going to have the same number of vehicles and they're just electric, that's an awful lot of resources that are going to be used up and emissions that are going to be created. And uh, not to mention the health benefits not being realised. So it really is a contest of ideas about how we get around, particularly in our big cities, where we live and how we live, and how, um, as uh, Simeon Brown points out, and as David Seymour points out, how we get our kids from netball practice to school and pick up things at the dairy on the way home. The assumption, of course, is this can never be done on a bike and that it's not only uh, uh, more difficult physically and more expensive in terms of time, but it's also more dangerous uh, for the kids. That assumes, of course, that there are no protected cycleways and that um, cars don't necessarily run into cyclists. So we have this general policy statement. The draft is already out there. It's all in public. It's been there for a long time. Michael Wood uh, gave an interview to Thomas Coughlin and restated this draft uh, um, uh, proposal. And then all hell break lo broke loose because the opposition saw this as money dedicated for fuel taxes and for road user charges being redirected from fixing all the potholes in the roads. Well, there have been plenty of complaints about that this year, particularly at a time when uh, Hurricane Gabrielle has ruined so many roads, uh, particularly in the North Island, which need to be repaired. And the implication is that money is being quote, wasted on cycle lanes and busways when it should be spent simply fixing the roads that are already filled with potholes and washed away with slips. So what did the government do? It capitulated almost immediately. Uh, within a few hours, Michael Wood was saying that no, um, the first priority was not reducing emissions. It was so-called resilience, which is a code word for fixing up the roads we already have. And that, that poses some really interesting questions. For example, some of these roads have been completely washed away and would require enormous sums of money to build back in their existing places. 
And it's forcing us to ask some really tough questions about where we have roads. Are they resilient, so-called, enough against climate change and huge weather events? And uh, how are we going to use our limited resources in future? Do we keep rebuilding and repairing the roads we have, or do we try to mode shift? And the um, prioritisation hierarchy in the general policy statement was very much climate emissions first to reduce and resilience uh, lower down the hierarchy. And at least initially, Michael Ward said, yep, climate emissions reduction is the main game. And it's a really important part of the um, government's emissions reduction plan, which it needs to reach if it's going to uh, uh, comply with the Zero Carbon Act. So um, within a few hours, Michael Wood was saying, ah, well, um, no decisions have been made and we'll see what happens. Chris Hipkins came out in the post-cabinet news conference and you can see the various quotes in the email that I've included with this email. Uh, email that I've included with this podcast saying that there is um, a change that's going to happen uh, once Cabinet uh, debates this general policy statement. He said that the government's priority, particularly since uh, Gabrielle was on resilience, i.e. fixing the roads that we have, and very much downplayed the idea of using the uh, road user charges and fuel taxes to spend money, more money, on buses, cycling, and walking. Now you may ask, uh, how was this possible? Wasn't the Labour government talking about climate change as a nuclear-free moment? Well, this is consistent with what it's done throughout its government. So it talks a lot about action on climate change and does various performative announcements on cycleways and busways. But when you look at the actual numbers on how much is spent on mode shift, it's very low. There's constant uh, pushback from within not just the Ministry of Transport, but also NZTA and the councils involved. And the fundamental political issue is that both National and Labour understand that in an MMP system, you need to win swinging voters in the middle of the electorate. So these are people who might change their vote from National to Labour or from uh, potentially one of the uh, smaller parties on one side of the equation to another side of the equation. And typically you're after the median voter. So we're talking about a relatively small block of people, 5 to 10%. And the political strategists have worked out that these people are of a certain type and have a particular interest. They tend to be slightly older. They tend to be more likely to be homeowners. And that's mostly because homeowners are more likely to vote than renters. They tend to live in the outer suburbs in standalone homes on sections they have driveways and garages. They often have more than one vehicle, and often those vehicles are double cab utes. And when you look at the, our car sales numbers, for most of the last decade, eight out of 10 of the cars sold in the top 10 are either double cab utes or SUVs. Cars have got increasingly heavy and large, in part to take advantage of improvements in engine efficiency so that. The, you can use the same amount of fuel and be in a much bigger vehicle, able to tow a much bigger boat and have more stuff in the back. And also there's a nice little um, tax dodge for many people who are buying double cab utes and avoiding fringe benefits tax. And so we have a situation where 
the government realises that if it alienates uh, those double cab ute drivers, and I'll call them Ford Ranger Man, I have in the past, because the Ford Ranger has been our most popular new vehicle sold for many years, uh, just ahead of the Toyota Hilux, or sometimes just behind the Toyota Hilux, but in recent years mostly it's been the Ford Ranger. And Ford Ranger Man is no fan of cyclists or walkers and doesn't see a need to change their lifestyles or where they live or how they live or how they get their kids to netball practice and um, is in no mood to have their fuel taxes spent on um, people who are riding bikes. As Simeon Brown said, uh, it makes no sense to spend this money for 1% of travellers, he said, who use their bikes to get around town. Uh, this is a political problem, which it's worth pointing out to uh, people who may have attended a, a climate protest on Friday. Remember, we had the uh, a climate strike uh, by the school students. Um, there's a lot of noise and a lot of hope and a lot of expectation and a lot of uh, uh, people patting kids on heads and saying, they're there, yes, of course we must do this and we will do this and uh, you are being listened to. No, they're not and neither of the main parties are. And to be frank, uh, the support the parties that support those main parties, so ACT for National and the Greens for Labour, are unlikely to shift that view in the middle because they have um, essentially tied their futures to the main parties and have said that they will not go with either of the parties. The Green Party uh, obviously has different views from Labour on all of this, which would um, make sense and have some impact if it was to be the larger party in a coalition government. But that's not a real prospect anytime soon, which means those green votes are not used to implement the policies that people think they might be used for. So it's uh, another little lesson with an example of what happens with real climate change politics in this country. Ford Ranger Man just drove over Michael Wood, the Transport Minister, and Chris Hipkins was there to administer first aid after the driving over of his Transport Minister. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the Dawn Chorus for Tuesday the 7th of March. Kakite anō.